experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. I'm Sarah O'Keefe. In this episode, Patrick Bosick and I continue our discussion about content as a service. This is part two of a two-part podcast. So, so looking at this from a slightly different point of view, who are the companies who are the industries maybe that need content as a service the most? So, you know, I think it's going to be the usual suspects. I mean, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had a more interesting answer here, but it's, you know, it's technology companies and sure you can say, okay, we're all technology companies now. And to an extent that's true. But I think if you look at the people who are going to adopt this most aggressively right out of the gate, it's the people who are going to have the most benefit from it. And what we see is it tends to be like software companies or companies from a high tech perspective that maybe they sell a thing, but realistically the thing is just something that they can load software onto and sell you that, right? So there's like that like really blurry line between high tech manufacturers and software companies. It's really good for them because of kind of like the as licensed thing they run into. There's this natural progression as a software company that I think every software company that reaches a certain scale goes through. You make a thing. It's simple. People want it. It solves a simple problem. People come and buy it. You sell a bunch of it. Well, as you sell more of it, you gain more validity and you know bigger people want to come and buy it. But bigger organizations, you know, they want this changed and they need this other thing. Or they need to integrate with this thing. And over time, you want to serve them. The, you know, those bigger organizations um, or different niches, or you know, there's market demand that pushes a product in a bunch of different directions. And what happens is that your product becomes more complex so that it can access more niches, it can access more larger accounts, it can have its 90% value plus 10% for a lot of different groups. And that what that means is that your product is very different based on who's using it, which group is using it. So there's now there's this as licensed model for your software. If you're this group, if you're in FinTech and you're using our product, it's mostly the same, but it's got this little thing that's different. If you're in this group and there's all that, right? But you don't want to, so now your choices are, okay, we can produce one manual that covers 90% of the product, or we can produce, you know, 40 manuals that all cover a bunch of different part of the product and they sh- and they copy 90% of the content unless you move to a content as a service model where it can be dynamic. It can be whoever's accessing it gets 100% of the product and it's just that 10% that changes based on who they are. So content as a service becomes a necessity to really deliver a strong customer experience from an answers and knowledge perspective to serve those people um, after the fact. And I think those are the organizations that we're seeing adopt this most aggressively today. Yeah, and it's the as licensed thing is interesting because we're actually seeing this in in that space, but also in the as built, which is essentially the hardware equivalent of right. as licensed. I mean, you mentioned tractors, right? Well, it turns out in some manufacturing organizations, it's, oh, I need a machine, mm-hmm. you know, a tractor or a, truck or a car or something and those are in fact getting customized per customer so they need what did you build for customer x on this date and that gets super tricky and really kind of obnoxious oh the yeah the automotive industry is full of that the um Mm -hmm. i was just talking to somebody from that industry i don't know it was on coffee and content it was actually his name's nick he's from he's from twiddle 
they were talking about, you know, VIN specific content, right? So, you know, that's kind of like that whole thing taken to its, its nth degree where the number that identifies your product, it's like a checksum almost, is the thing that determines the content that goes into your product. And because almost all cars can display content, you have a perfectly dynamic experience that relates to the person who's sitting in the product. Like, you know, how much more content as a service could that possibly be? Um, and to fulfill that, you have to have a really strong content operations methodology that feeds into a content as a service infrastructure because, you know, Lord knows cars are largely software and when your car updates, I mean, they are like, they are like you laugh, they but they totally are like, are. no, they totally is, are. And it's depressing. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the software is eating the world, right? Like everything is software. Um, there's software in everything. So when that software updates, the content updates, your car updates, like you have to be able to, you have to be able to push that stuff out along with all those things. So as we get started with this, I mean, there's a lot of people talking about content as a service and there's some stuff happening, but if we look ahead, you know, 10 years or five years or 18 months, I mean, however far you're comfortable in looking ahead, wh where do you envision this going? I mean, what do you think this is going to look like when it reaches its full potential? Oh boy. Small question. You know, I think the interesting thing about content as a service is that I would like, I, what I would, how I, here's how I'd like to answer that question. And then I'm going to tell you after I answer it this way, why this is probably not realistic. I would love to say that we're going to get to a place where content as a service itself has its own well-defined and well-understood standards. And we have interoperability in a way that we have with content storage formats today, right? So like you think about like DITA, right? Like DITA is a structured content storage format. It's not a good format for content as a service because it's just, it's too semantic. It's got a lot of information in it. You don't want directly represented. Like, you know, you have to transform it into HTML, all those kinds of things. So you don't want to send data through an API. You don't want to leave that to the last mile. You have to compile data. And like, you'd lose a lot of the power of data if you didn't compile it. Like that's just kind of part and parcel with using data. But what if there was a standard for what comes out the other end of a content as a service? right? It was like data where everybody knew what they were going to consume. Well, you'd end up in this situation where the systems that create experiences were interoperable, right? So you'd have Hereto and Hereto would send you whatever this open source standard was over your content as a service. And then maybe you'd have something like Contentful and they would send the same thing, right? You know, so like different content, but it's a standard format. And then you could just have frameworks that were just out there that knew how to interpret this stuff. Like all the rules of the road are put together, right? It's all, it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's the, the maximal implementation of cards and components and kind of the, the modularized enterprise as it relates to content and content as a service and, and modular experiences and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I want to say is going to happen. And I want to believe it's going to happen. I do. Like, it's a thing that, like, I dream about and, like, I hope is in the future. And it's a thing that, like, I'm going to actively pursue, right? It's a thing that I believe in and I'm going to push towards. But. <laughs> um, However. Right. So why, do, why am I a little skeptical about that? I'm a little skeptical about that because I think that 
the industry as a whole is is very privatized and i think that there hasn't been any real appetite for getting to something like that and i think that the, what you're going to see is that if you try to go down that road you're going to run into a lot of forces that are going to say well you know part of the beauty of where we are today in content as a service is that it can be so customized it can be so one-to-one you know, you can build these models that really fit you. And, you know, there's no really strong way to perfectly containerize that and have it be available um, in a broad, you know, universally understood interchange format. I don't know how true that is. I don't know if that's necessarily like the thing that would kill the ability to do this, but whatever way it goes, this is the future. Like everybody's going to run on this. The idea that we're going to use things like WordPress in 10 years, I mean, I don't know. I mean, somebody is for a blog, but like no company is going to be running on WordPress in 10 years. You know, DXPs, the monolith DXPs, I think those are dinosaurs too. Like, I think anybody who's going and implementing a DXP today is just deciding that they're going to re-implement that on content as a service in, you know, four to five years. So I won't ask you to name names, but DXP is Digital Experience Platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. And some of them are very sophisticated technologies. Like they're, and they do a lot of stuff. Like, so they used to be web content management, right? And then they moved to digital experience. And when the content as a service industry can find a way to break down all the different pieces of functionality that you get in these big monolith DXPs and provide them as, you know, perfectly modularized, interoperable, interchangeable services that you can clip together into what you need for your content experience platform then you're not going to buy dxps anymore it just doesn't make any sense like they're that that's a, i think that that's a big part of the future so people are listening to this and they're going okay well how does this relate to me um what i would say is in terms of very specific technology you should definitely understand the primary approaches to structured content because that's not going anywhere and if you really need more proof of that which i don't think you do if you're listening to this podcast honestly but maybe somebody near you does and if that person does go and look at like schema.org that's google stuff right like the way to improve your search engine ranking is to inject more schema.org into your content that's structured content that's metadata right and that's what Google wants you to do. Like that's where those, you know, quick answers come from. That's where the FAQs in the front uh, front front page of Google come from. It's how they ensure that certain things are more relevant. It's because it's literally because you tell Google it's more relevant. Like it's not keyword stuffing. Like Google in a lot of ways gave up on like the AI approach to this and they said, "Actually, just go put metadata in your content." <laughs> like you know, it's like that's that's the direction. So it's you're going structured in this way. And so understand the structured formats and then get to understand the primary delivery formats. So there's really only two ways to deliver content as a service. And that's a RESTful API and a GraphQL API. Yep, that's basically it. I was trying to think if there was a third, but nope, that's <laughs> it. So understand the two of them and understand the ones that you know are gonna be more effective for your use cases. And then kind of get a, um, a recognition of you know, what the different models for presentation look like and how those things come together. 
And I think like that's a foundation of understanding content operations, which is just an aspect of content operations that's going to work well for you no matter where you go. And if anybody is to write a book on content operations, I would recommend you go read it. That's my last recommendation. All right, people. So it appears you have homework. It wasn't me. It was Patrick. But and that sounds like you know a good a good starting point for some of this research, but also a that sounded like about six months of reading work. So um, hey, you're the one who asked me to come on here. This is not my fault. (laughs) I'm going to stop it here before you give us more homework to do. That's fair. Um, But Patrick, thank you, and thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.